Volatility in the market is a fact. What isn't so clear is what the ups and downs of the market can do to your retirement portfolio. For answers, call Kevin Brooker at 800-975-6717. Kevin is founder and CEO of Silverleaf Financial, and he's been helping people cut through the noise to create a retirement and income plan that can take you all the way through retirement. Call now for your free financial consultation, 800-975-6717. Today's market volatility can really take a toll on your portfolio. But what if you could lock in your gains and still be in a position to participate in the gains without suffering losses if the market plunges again? That's what Kevin Brooker at Silverleaf Financial can help you achieve. Your no-cost analysis includes a portfolio x-ray showing any hidden fees in your current plan. He'll show you how by claiming Social Security at the right time can make a huge difference in your retirement income. Call Kevin Brooker today, 800-975-6717. Do it today. This is Kevin Brooker, and I want to welcome you to Cruising Through Retirement. You know, the closer we get to retirement, the more it is to avoid the costly mistakes. So on today's show, we're going to cover three investment mistakes that older investors should really do everything possible to avoid. You found Cruising Through Retirement with Kevin Brooker. Kevin is an investment advisor representative with more than 30 years experience. He's helped thousands of people cruise through retirement, and he'd be happy to help you too. Stick around for today's adventure on Cruising Through Retirement. Welcome in, everybody. This is Cruising Through Retirement with Kevin Brooker. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Kevin is a fiduciary, independent uh, investment advisor representative with Silverleaf Financial, and he has been helping folks getting to and through retirement for more than 30 years. And uh, Kevin has seen, well, I won't say he's seen it all, but boy, he's seen a market like this a time or two. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Hey, Stephen, always good to be here. And uh, yeah, you know, unfortunately, we've been through this rodeo, been through the down volatile markets before. So, um, and look at you, know, you we, came out the other side and everything's still good. Yeah, you come, you, you know what? You just you, sometimes it's just a rough ride, you know? And uh, but so far, we want to remember the market has always come back and hit new record highs. It, and every time you go through it, it feels terrible. Um, I, I understand I'm in there too, you know? And, and I don't, I don't like to see the account, account values go down really at all, uh, let alone more than a couple of days in a row. And now we've been going through it for several months. So it can seem like, you know, it's never going to turn around and people can get, you can get negative, um, you know, but I think it's important to keep your eye on the long-term horizon. If you're in the stock market, hopefully you're in there with a time horizon that's at least, you know, three years or more, as opposed to, you know, three days or three weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you are short, if you are short term, that's a whole different story. Okay. But again, you could help them too, or at least maybe uh, give them some tips. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. In fact, uh, you know, we'll get it into a little bit later. Uh, but the per, the pure growth account that I manage okay. that we talked about, uh, that's more of a short term trading account. All right. Well, okay? I will it's look a, forward to a, that. Yeah, totally different strategy. Though. Okay. Um, and folks, again, it's silverleaffinancial.com. If I didn't mention that silverleaffinancial.com, that's the website. All right, let's, uh, let's dive in, uh, Kevin. I mean, um, you talk about Right now, with the market doing what it's doing and inflation doing what it's doing, um, asset allocation becomes more important than ever, doesn't it? It, yeah, it really does. You know, and we talk about asset allocation, 
everybody's heard, you know, any investor has heard how you should be diversified to reduce your portfolio risk. And the whole idea is to be diverse, being diversified is so that you have money spread out amongst several different asset classes, right? Um, and the idea is that everything doesn't go in the same direction. And so what we want to see happen is that if you do have things that are down, you've got other things in the portfolio going higher. And now in, in this year, the, this 2022 calendar year that we're off, that we've started here halfway through almost, I should say, uh, this has been one of the worst years for both stock and bond markets. Um, in fact, that typical 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40 bonds, that's down 12-13% this year, maybe a little more now uh, after the last few days. Uh, we've really gotten beaten up in the last couple of days looking, you know, with, in anticipation of the big inflation report coming out. Um, you know, so depending on where that one report goes, that's probably going to move the market for at least, uh, the, you know, in the next few days. Okay. And, and it, it may not be um, all that smooth is what you're saying. No, unfortunately, it might not. <laughs> no, it might not be. You know what, what I would love to see, Steve? I'd love to see a lousy number, meaning inflation higher than expected, and the market turn and go higher. You know, now the, ch the chances of that are very low, I have to admit. But, but my point is, if we start getting negative news and the market starts acting in a bullish manner, that tells you, that tells me, uh, you know, that a lot of the bad news is already digested. It's already anticipated. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, like with companies, a lot of folks get puzzled when a company reports earnings uh, and they might have beat estimates, but yet the stock goes down. And it's because it's because what happened prior to it, it's the rumors that happen in anticipation. And a lot of times markets move in anticipation of the event. And then when the actual event happens, it, it can be a totally different direction. Um, so I think I really think the best move for most investors that are longer term investors is don't get too hung up, though, on the day to day, week to week action, you know, because you can get whipsawed and you can wind up making a mistake that's going to cost you some money. Well, because when the when the market's doing the, the wild swings that it is, it's it's human nature, I think, to just, well, I got to get out of this because I can't do. And again, that's just the exact wrong it, thing to do. It, it, you know what? And that's why I call that. That's what I call emotional investing. And that's yeah. really what you know, because you're you're. You know, you're succumbing to the emotions. The, the two primal emotions that move the market are greed and fear, right? Yep. That's that's what it is: greed and fear. And and it and it. I've often I've said to a lot of folks that you know one of the virtues that I think is the absolute best virtue you could have as an investor is patience, patience. Because and and I'll tell you that's one that I fight personally um, many times because I feel like something is happening. There's a trend taking place. The market's not showing it. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? This doesn't make any sense. And, and, and a lot of times I'm just early. And, and so if you can have the patience to just ride it out, stick to the plan, uh, I think that can solve a lot of people's problems. I think a lot of folks, they, they might get that hair trigger figure, you know, want to pull that trigger faster than they yep. should. Uh, you know, so unless you're a trader, uh, you know, or a short-term investor, then, then really it's important to focus on the asset allocation. You know, this year, for instance, uh, if you look at the sectors, let me tell you, let me say, there's 11 sectors in the S&P 500. Uh, really, the energy space has been really the, by far the best performing one, and it's really the only one that's made money. Uh, metals and mining have made, have made, you know, the natural resource category, they've made, a little, made some money this year too. But if you're not in those sectors, then, then you've, you know, the markets haven't been, uh, haven't been good to you. And so when it comes to asset allocation, you want to have exposure to different areas of the market because it reduces the risk of a larger loss. So on the flip side, at like what I do, what I do with the uh, pure growth portfolio, okay. that, that is purely looking for high aggressive growth. 
And so I don't want to be diversified with that portfolio. I want to be concentrated, the opposite. I want to be focused on where exactly the market, what's working right now. And, and so on that part, that's a totally different strategy. Um, and, and it's just to give you an idea of different ways that we can invest, um, you know, and, and as it turns out right now, the short-term strategy is working well because I'm in, I'm in about 25% cash position. Um, you know, I don't recommend that for longer-term investors, um, you know, simply because it, it, is, it, is a much, it is a higher risk, you know, strategy. And, and so when you diversify, you spread the assets out, uh, you know, like for instance, your bonds should hold up when stocks sell off. It didn't happen earlier this year, but a lot of us are thinking that, you know, the bond market right now, I think it's okay to nibble at bonds uh, in the short and medium term duration. I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say necessarily go out by 30 year bonds, 30 year treasuries, but I do think of the shorter durations where you can get maybe two or 3% now, you know, it's not a big number, but it should serve as ballast to hold up your portfolio when the stocks when the stock side is taking a hit. Okay, I, I mean, again, you you make sense there, and and um, so when so how does uh, asset allocation uh, differ from diversification? Well, it's really it, it's really about the the allocation in terms. Of, I think about it in terms of sector performance, um, and, and I should say sector sector exposure. Okay. So at asset allocation is, is going to have to do with the different specific areas of the market. Diversification is going to look a little bit further and it's going to look at, you know, we want to look at volatility. We want to look at things that, uh, that aren't perfectly correlated. In other words, you know, positive correlation is, is measured as 1.0. Um, you know, and that means, that means if, if you get a correlation of 1.0 to the S&P 500, that means the, the market moves up 1%, you move up 1%. It goes down 2%, you go down 2%. So we want something that's not directly correlated, you know, with the overall indexes, and that's how you're going to get you're going to add uh, you're going to get diversification of your portfolio. So it's it's a few different elements there. Just you know, I used I used to use the example of baking a cake, even though let me admit I've never actually baked a cake. Okay, you know, but I do realize there are different ingredients, right? Mm -hmm. And and so you've got the flour and the sugar and the different ingredients that go into it. And if you leave one of them out, or if you just eat one by itself, it's probably not going to be very appetizing, right? Nope. But when you put them all together in just the right mix, it can be something fantastic. And, and that's how I think of investing is, you know, you've got to have the right pieces at the right time in order to get the best result. And, uh, you know, and, and in, in and on their own, of their own, you know, looking at one position or something, it might not look that attractive, just like eating a pile of flour is probably not very tasty. But I think if you have it in the right balance and the right mix, you can find a portfolio that you're comfortable with that you can stay involved when the markets are down, because that's the key. You got to be able to write out the bad markets in order to get to the good ones. Well, let's talk about that for a second. And, and you know, right now you said the energy sector seems to be doing fairly well for, for the oh, year. Yeah. And, it is. and then, but for so long, it was always the tech stocks. Oh, the tech stocks are great. They have to do la la la. I mean, it's, and so that, but that's not the case. And I think you used this term last week and I like it. You called it sector rotation. Yes, exactly. Yes, I did. And, and, and that's exactly what, what it refers to is, is the, you know, the rotation strategy is, is one of the strategies that I use. And, and uh, what we're doing is we're trying, to, we're trying to get into the sectors that are the best performing on a relative basis. So in other words, if you compare, let's say, energy to technology, energy has crushed tech, no question, in the last several months, um, maybe in the last year. And prior to that, though, if you go back, let's say two years or more, energy did terribly. It didn't make any money at all. You could have you could have held on to energy energy stocks for years and not really made any money. Sure, um, you, you know. So it 
So we're talking different periods of time. You know, this year so far, it, it has done well, and a lot of it's correlated to the price of oil. You know, a, a lot of you guys might know oil is, has went over $120 a barrel, which was a, rec was a record high, I believe all-time record high, but I, I might be mistaken in that one, but it's definitely the highest level we've seen in quite some time. Mm -hmm. And so one of, my, one of my holdings, you know, ExxonMobil is one that, that, that's done really well, that hit a new high, I think it was yesterday or the day before. And, and uh, you know, so the lot of them in that space, um, in the pure growth fund that I manage, we've had Apache uh, symbols, APA, in there for, for quite some time. And if you look at it, we've got, um, I apologize, I'm trying to find the dates right now. Yeah, we've got sure. a little over, we're over an 80% profit in Apache. Okay, wow. And and since November 3rd of 21. So exactly 80.93. So just under 81% profit in Apache. Wow. That's pretty buttered good. On November, buttered so, on November 3rd, six, seven months ago. So where do you find, I mean, where do you stand now with pure growth? I mean, I know last week we were talking about, you know, you were still beating the market, not by much, but by some. Yeah, actually, actually, I'd correct it. We're beating it by a lot, actually. Oh, okay, well, all right. Well, the market's down fifteen percent. We're up one. Okay. So okay, well, that's a lot. I'm going to say that's a lot. That's a sixteen percent outperformance mm -hmm. um, if you compare it to the S and P. But how about if you compare it to Nasdaq, Steve? Do you know what Nasdaq's done this year? Down twenty five percent. It's going to say not good. Yeah, no, it's lost a quarter of its value. And and so now now I understand. You know, on absolute basis, people say one percent. What you know, I, I I do better in a bank CD. And, and you know what, for the last six months, you probably would have, um, you know, but when you look at the indexes, you know, we're playing in this market where the S&P is down 15%, NASDAQ is down 25%. I think the Russell and the small caps are down even more. And there's certainly all kinds of stocks that have, that have gotten absolutely annihilated. I mean, there's some, there's a lot of them out there. Look at the DocuSigns and Pelotons and Robin Well, I was Hood. just, I was going to bring up Peloton and, and I was just looking at that because it's something that you've mentioned to me before. So, because I think those secondary tech markets or areas or, or sectors are still, I mean, again, not doing very well. Well, like, like Peloton, uh, a year ago, 129.70. Today, mm -hmm. it closed at $11.10. Yeah, look at that. In a year. 90% loss. Wow. 90% loss. And I, right. I had somebody just tell me, because <laughs> talking about Peloton, he called it an iPad on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> there you, well, there, yeah, there you go. You there know you what? Go. Well, uh, I think it's true. <laughs> it, it is true. And it's a bike that doesn't go anywhere, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so you got a stationary bike that you got to pay, what, I don't know, 60 bucks a month or something for these something. classes. Yep. I think it, it the, okay, the whole concept, I'll admit, the whole concept has been crazy to me ever since I first heard about it. I said, all right, maybe if you're in a big city, like if you live in an apartment building in New York, yeah, it's far easier to just hop on your bike in your living room or your bedroom and, and exercise in place than, than getting around the city and going someplace to a gym and things like that, I guess. But um, I, I was just, I, personally, I thought that I just never, the, the business model never appealed to me. I would never personally. I would not do that. I wouldn't spend $2,500 on an exercise bike and then spend 50 or 60 bucks a month for remote bicycle classes or something. It just seems crazy to me. <laughs> I um, understand. I'm with you. I got <laughs> no, but, I, I share that view. <laughs> but some people, some people are into it and I say more power to you. If uh, I, I personally, I'm a big believer in fitness and exercise. And if it gets you to exercise and you can do it on a regular basis, then more power to you. Fantastic. Sure. What, whatever you do or however you do it, just keep moving. All right. Just keep moving. Right. And, um, you, you know, but don't, I don't recommend buying Peloton stock, however. Okay, right, fair so, enough. So are um, you, the, okay, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the companies that, that, that really were big names, they got a lot of attention during the pandemic, like Peloton, 
totally different scenario, guys. That one, you know, we couldn't go outside, right? We weren't supposed to go anywhere. And so companies like DocuSign and Peloton, you know, Netflix, um, Netflix is a little bit different. They actually have earnings. And so what I'm getting at is these companies that don't even have earnings and they're trading at like huge multiples of sales, which a lot of them are trading at 15, 20, 30, 40 times revenues, which is absurd uh, with no earnings in sight. Not even a lot of them don't even have positive cash flow. So the only reason they're surviving is because the, some really rich private equity guys, really rich investors gave them seed capital because they like the idea. And these companies are just burning through it. And as long as there are investors out there willing to send them billions of dollars without them having to show a profit, that's what keeps these companies going. Man. But don't get don't get confused. Some of those billionaires, you know, they, they can afford to take the loss, right? They put a bunch of money in deals like this that they're hoping, you know, one out of ten will actually survive. But that but that means nine out of ten are probably not going to survive, guys. Wow, I guess so. Um, you know, so again, so with the energy sector, do you still see that as a as a, a strong a strong place to to look at uh, moving forward? Well, I tell you, you know what? I do still have still have exposure to it. I own it personally. Okay. Um, you know, I own uh, Katera, or it used to be called Cabot Oil and Gas, uh, Exxon Mobil, Apache. You know, I, right, I so still yes. own them. I, I still own them, and and so I I still feel like, you know what? My my feeling on the energy space is is uh, is simply is really based on supply and demand. You know, and I think that all the talk about moving to green, um, you know, electric cars, things like that. I think all the rhetoric and the sentiment just got to the point that the oil company executives, they made a decision they're not going to spend big money on trying to develop or, you know, dig new wells or develop new new sources because they're hearing that they're hearing talk from different areas about how we're going to be getting off of these, you know, uh, carbon fuels, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so I think because of that, there's just a lot, there's less supply and there's more demand. Um, and, and when you take Russia out of the equation, right, which we couldn't anticipate unless somebody knew that they were going to invade Ukraine, you know, well before they did it. But Russia is one of the biggest energy producers in the world. And, and now the U.S. as well as Europe has said, we don't want Russian energy or oil or gas. And so that further limits the supply when we're all already undersupplied. And so as far as I know, the research that I've done, uh, nobody in that field thinks that we've got enough supply coming on anytime soon. And so the consensus is that we're going to have an undersupply of, of oil and gas for, for months, if not years. Wow. And so in that scenario, I'm going to keep on holding on to these positions. If they do, if things change, though, I could easily get out. For instance, I announced on the show last week, just to reiterate, I announced last week that I had gotten out of Zim, which I talked about several times previously. Yeah. Um, we got out of that a couple of weeks ago. Um, it worked out really well and I'm glad we did because it, took, it did take a pretty big hit. Uh, and if you guys want to double check me, just go back and listen to the recording of the previous show. Sure. Um, you know, so, so it is important with stocks, you know, we, you don't want to do something on a little sidebar. If you guys hear the expression round trip, you know, somebody says to you, yeah, round trip that stock. You know what that means is that they bought it, let's say at 50 bucks, they wrote it up to 75, 80 or a hundred bucks. They had a nice profit and they held on to it. They did not sell it. And they wrote it all the way back down to where they bought it. Okay, that's called round tripping a stock. Okay? I don't think I, I don't think I like that idea. <laughs> no, you know what? I hate that idea. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing I I just you know that's one of the things I despise the most is to have a big gain on an investment and just hold on to it and let it all go away. Kind of like kind of like Bitcoin. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. That's a, that's a, that's another story. You know. And. and uh, 
Um, guys, you know, since since we since Steve mentioned Bitcoin, I want I do want to talk about that for a second. Sure. Um, well, one of the stories that came out in the last week, you know, we've talked about cryptocurrencies before. Bitcoin gets a lot of attention, especially from I'm going to say 20 or 30 somethings. Um, you know, so hopefully the more mature investors aren't aren't, aren't putting too much money in it. Is my hope um, because guys, there's over 18,000 cryptocurrencies out there right now. 18,000. 18,000. Oh my okay? gosh. It's not just Bitcoin and Ethereum. All right. <laughs> 18,000. I could probably name maybe seven or eight of them, but guys, they're 18,000 and they're creating more of them all the time, you know? And, and so I don't, I don't know. I have tried to understand it and I'm going to pull out Warren Buffett's old thing that if you don't understand it, you probably shouldn't be buying it. And that's really my conclusion. I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around how one of these specific digital currencies, cryptocurrencies, is going to be better because I simply don't. I don't have enough knowledge, and I don't feel there's enough. Uh, I don't feel there's enough protection around it because the other, the other thing going on. There was an article that came out this week from the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC. Uh, they announced that uh, individuals lost over one billion dollars last year due to crypto scams. Now this is now I'm not saying they lost you know they bought something and it went down in value. I'm saying they were scammed out of their money. Sure. And they were and the scammers used cryptocurrency as a mechanism or a method, you know, to invest the money or they asked for their fees to be paid in crypto. And the thing is folks, you want to remember when you transfer cryptocurrency, you transfer it away, it's gone. Okay? That's bye-bye, gone. You aren't it's not coming back, okay? So when you send it it's gone and uh, it, it's going to be very, very difficult to retrieve unless you get the FBI involved and maybe they could help you out. Um, but the average 70 year old person that was scammed uh, involving a crypto trade last year lost about 12 grand. Hmm. All right. And well, so for guys, a 70 year old, that's a, just, it's just more than just a lot of money. That's a ton of money. It's, you know what? It's, it's a lot, it's a lot of money. And the thing I always say to myself is, is why, why are you taking the chance? Don't, don't take those chances. You know, there's plenty of other ways that there, there are other things you can invest in that you don't have to take a chance on being scammed. If, 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 you're ta if anybody is promising you guaranteed returns or, or big, big returns, it's a scammer. Chances are it really, it's a 99% chance it's a scammer because a legitimate advisor cannot guarantee returns, period. We can't do it legally. Um, and, and so if somebody's scam, looking to scam you, just keep your ears tuned if they're offering you big returns or guarantees that are outsized from anything else in the market, chances are really good that it's a scam. Um, so and, how do they reach out to Kevin? I mean, is it, is it through email? Is it through phones? Is it uh, in oh, person? You know, you know what? That's a good question. I, and I will say that, okay, the largest dollar amount that was lost was actually the older investors obviously because they've got, you know, they're older, they've got more money. That's just how it works. Absolutely. Um, so they, they weren't the largest group, you know, they weren't uh, they weren't the demographic group that was targeted or lost the most money on a percentage basis, like looking at age. But on the amount lost was the largest for the older group. Um, but it's actually people in their twenties and thirties uh, that over half of them that lost the money it was in the twenty to th between twenty and forty years old. No kidding. Uh, and and about fifty five or sixty percent of the scams, uh, the majority of them took place over Instagram, and then it was Facebook. Instagram. No kidding. Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. That's where almost 60% of the scams originated. So social media, guys, is something. It's just you know, evil. It's, you know what? I think a lot of it's evil, personally. Yeah, I, me too. I, I, I really do. I really do. Uh, there, there's a part of me that really despises the fact that anybody with an internet connection 
can amp up their voice and be heard around the world, even if they're a complete, complete idiot. Um, and a lot of them are, (laughs) a lot of them are right. They're proving, they're proving it. I I find myself saying, you know, that old saying, you know, I'd rather be thought a fool than open my mouth and remove all doubt. I I, (laughs) I like that. Yes. (laughs) I I keep thinking that when I hear these guys, I'd say, you just, you really just violated that rule. (laughs) All right. I mean, I mean, like the, like this guy, the, co- the coach for what? Washington coming out and saying the insurrection was a, just a little dust up at the Capitol. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, anyway, sorry. Um, Jack what Del Rio, I think his name is. Okay. Anyway, that, that little side note, don't mean to get you know, distracted on that. But guys, I, I don't recommend buying cryptocurrency unless you think of it purely as gambling. Okay. Just think of it like gambling. If you, whatever money you would spend at a roulette table or a black deck table or on the slot machines, Use that money for crypto because I, in my mind, it's purely gambling. Uh, it could work out. You could make a fortune or you could lose all of it in the blink of an eye, in my opinion. Um, so I don't recommend it personally. Um, you know, I just think there's too many unknowns. And, and I think there's and I think also I don't want to really be swimming in the same pool as all the crooks, crooks and the con men and, con men and the mobs and, and the mafia. These folks love cryptocurrency. The underworld loves cryptocurrency. I don't think I want to swim in that pool with them. No, I agree. Well, I mean, and they love it because it's untraceable, because there's no regulation, or or, or are yeah. there other reasons? Oh, I think I think those are the big ones. I think those are the big ones. You know, because of the mystery of it all. It's it it's and and also think about it, all these different ways now you can send money. You can do it. You can do it easily. Oh so yeah. There's a you know there's a lot of countries. You know the less developed countries. I, I think there's an argument more for crypto in the really undeveloped countries where it's difficult to send money, you know. But in the U.S., guys, we, there, there's like a million ways to send money. I, I, I'm always, I'm really amazed. You know, all these fintech companies come up saying, "Oh, you can send money here, you can send money there." I'm like, I'm like, well, that doesn't sound real revolutionary to me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not in the U.S. because there's a bunch of ways to do it. Sure, um, you know, but in other countries, it's not the same. And and so maybe there's some better possibilities there. But I, I think if if, if I, I don't know, I, I just don't want to associate with the criminals and the underworld element. I, I think that if, you know, I don't want to hang out with them and, and I don't want to participate in things they participate in and uh, generally how I live my life. And, and, and so, um, so nonetheless, I think, I think crypto should be avoided is, is my, in my, in my opinion. Okay. Well, all right. Fair enough. And, and um, so the, the market in general, I mean, uh, what do you think? Are we, are we, stabilizing are we still going to be volatile for the foreseeable future what, what yeah. are you thinking i'm gonna you know what uh volatile is the answer okay. all right uh, yeah because guys, remember um i i think so i think a lot of people that are investors might not have gone through a bear market before and so this could be pretty shocking to them i think it is uh but anybody that's been investing more than let's say 15 years then you went through the mess in 07 08 and if you've been a little longer, you went through the bear market in 2000, 2001, and two. And, and if you remember those, those cycles, when we went through those markets, there were several times, for instance, from, from the spring of 2000 is about when the markets peaked, uh, and they didn't bottom out until October 2002. So it was roughly two and a half years that we, we were all that from the beginning of the bear market to the end. But you don't know that until you look back on it. Kind of like a recession. You don't really know you're in one until you look back and say, oh yeah, that's when we entered a recession. And and when you and my point I'm getting at is that when you look at bear markets, there are many, many times that you'll see what we call bear market rallies. Okay. In other words, we have a good period of time, we have a good week, a good month, a good couple of months where the market's going higher, 
but it's in the overall context of a down of a market that's trending downward. And, and so I think, I think what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is, is a, is a rally inside of a bear market. And I feel like we've got more downside um, in the near term. All right. It doesn't mean forever. I just, in my opinion, the next several months um, are, are going to be the rough ones. I think once we get to the end of the year, that things could start to improve, maybe the fall. Uh, but what I'm looking at are a couple of things. One, we got the Fed expected to raise interest rates by half a point next week. Um, they're also expected to raise rates by another half a point in, at the July meeting. Uh, then they take August off. You know, I guess they're all going to the Hamptons or something. And and then September, I believe there's another another meeting of the Fed. So what the markets are expecting right now, the markets are already baked in the half point increase in June and another half point in July. What the markets are trying to figure out is whether there's going to be another one in September. And so the reason why the uh, market's getting all freaked out right now, based on the inflation report coming out, uh, you know, at the end of this week, is because they feel that's going to set the tone for the Fed for that September meeting. Okay. Right? And and so so my point is, if we've got these interest rate hikes coming, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, well, the market the market knows it, right? Every every business show you listen to, that's all they're talking about. So the information is out there. It's out there. So. If there's not a surprise in the language that they use, you know, uh, economists and analysts, they, they slice and dice every single word from the Fed statement, it's, which seems a little bit ridiculous, but that's what they do. They got time uh, to it, fill. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so if they change one or two words, you know, that, that could make a difference. And so, so that's, we call this headline risk, guys. And that means, you know, the headline in the Wall Street Journal or, you know, whatever business paper, Reuters or whatever. Um, the big headline is what, what is moving the markets. So you, you want to remember, you know, when we talked about what we're going through, we've had the worst, you know, we've, we've had a pandemic that we haven't had in a hundred years, right? With COVID. Yep. So that's pretty massive, right? Pretty massive. We've had, an, we've, we've had inflation that we haven't seen in over 40 years. And we've got a war in Europe that we haven't seen in like 75 years or something. So all of these things combined, when you take, if you just took one of them, it would, it would be something to deal with. But all three of them, it's like a trifecta. It's like a perfect storm. And, and so remember, we've had a couple of warnings recently. Jamie Dimon, right? The boss at Chase. Yes. He, he came out and said, not only is a storm coming, he thinks it could be a hurricane. Okay. So, um, so, so, so we don't want anyone to be surprised if the market drops another 10 or 15%, which it could definitely do. All right. But what we, what we believe, what I believe is that earnings from companies are still, are still strong. And I think once we get through these rate hikes, the market should start to stabilize. We should see the peak in inflation, which which I'm, which means inflation should start to come down. It doesn't mean it's going to zero or that prices will go down. It just means that inflation it won't be rising at you know seven or eight percent. Maybe maybe be going up at five or six percent, and then maybe maybe by the end of the year it's it's rising at like a three percent annual rate. So that's what we're saying that the rate of inflation should slow down. It doesn't mean prices are going back to where they were. Unfortunately, I, I wish they were. Yeah. Um, you know, but I do think that if you if you have a balanced portfolio, just stay the course if you're a longer term investor. Um, stay the course, check your allocation, make sure you don't have too much exposure to any one particular sector. Um, and technology, as rates rise, as some of you might know, technology usually does pretty poorly when rates are going higher. So I think when we see the when when rates appear to to have peaked, that would be the ideal time to you know to be owning tech stocks. So is it time to rethink retirement at this point? If I was going to retire this year or next, is it time to rethink that? Maybe not do it? Yeah, I'm going to say yes, and please don't hate me for it. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I like, right. I, I like your honesty. 
You know what? I've had a couple conversations lately, which they're not, you know, they're not, I don't like telling people, you know, Hey, I think you should work a little longer. I don't, I don't like saying, I think you should wait to claim social security because I know people want to retire. I know they've been looking forward to it for a long time. I know I am. All right. But I also know that a lot of people live longer than they ever expected. My father lived to 93. He never thought he'd outlive my mother, which died, which passed away 12 years before he did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wound up in a nursing home. And if he had been in, he was in there between two and three years, I believe it was. If he had been in that nursing home much longer, then that would have started to come out of our pocket. In other words, he had enough resources he was able to pay for it, but we had to sell his house, his car, and all his possessions. And, um, and, and so what I worry about, Steve, is that somebody will live longer than they expected. They might not have gotten the growth they expected from their investments. And maybe inflation was higher than expected. And guys, you put those three things together, that could mean somebody runs out of money far sooner than they wanted to or they expected. And, and that means you could be running out of money in your 80s, right? And I, I, I can't imagine anybody wanting to go back in the workforce at that point or talking to their friends or family to help them out to borrow money. And, and so, you know, so what I always want to do, and that's, by the way, guys, one of the reasons why I really suggest pay off all your debts, including the mortgage. Don't go into retirement with a mortgage if you can avoid it. Um, if you do, I had a conversation earlier this week where I had, where I suggested to a guy, maybe I think that you should seriously consider downsizing your house, you know, get rid of the mortgage, downsize your house so that you don't have that, that monthly payment. And then you could probably retire far sooner. Um, but, it, but some people don't want to do that. And so you got to look at these, I call them trade-offs, you know, uh, the trade-off would be that if you want to stay in that house, then you probably have to keep working another three, four years, maybe longer. Um, you know, so it all depends you know, on the lifestyle somebody has, but when we go through the calculations, I want you to start off with at least having an extra thousand dollars a month in retirement, preferably more. All right. Cause guys, think about it. If your if your monthly expenses are four grand now, and we have another year of 10% inflation, 8%, right. So that means that means just in a couple of years, your expenses are going to go from, you know, what, 4,000 to 5,000. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so. So that's the thing, you know, you got to, you want to go into retirement with a big cushion. In other words, you want to have far more than you think you need, because if you do wind up having a long retirement, if you live into your nineties, especially, especially if it's a married couple, it can be very, very costly over time because we just don't know where inflation is going to go and how much, how much that gallon of gas is going to cost us five or 10 years from now. Well, Kevin, to me, the, the, the logical thing to do is to give you a call or stop by the website and, and, and reach out and just have this conversation. I mean, you know, you bring a lot of experience to the table. You're fiduciary, you're independent, and, and it just makes sense to at least have the conversation, right? No, no question about it. No question. And guys, the sooner the better. The sooner the better, because maybe we could make, maybe we could make a couple tweaks. Maybe we can make a couple changes with what you're doing, uh, with how much you're saving or with how much you're spending. And those little changes... You know, over time can make a big difference. And the other reason, like Steve asked about maybe, you know, should somebody wait a little longer to retire? If you just think about, you know, if you just work one year more, that's one year more where you're bringing in your salary and you're not spending down any of your savings, right? Right. Um, and it's one year, one year less that you're going to have to live off of your savings. And so I, I think that working that extra year or two years and also at the same time waiting to claim Social Security, uh, I think could be a very smart move. And remember, Social Security is the only thing that is guaranteed to grow almost 8% a year for every year you wait. Nothing else in this country is guaranteed to grow anywhere near that same amount. Yeah. All right. Well, again, um, I, again, I'll, I'll end it the way I started it and just say I, I appreciate your, your honesty and, and your optimism. 
You, you know what? Long, just, let's just, we guys, thank you for that, Steve. And guys, look, let's look long-term. We know the markets have done well. They've always come back to new highs. I'm not saying that's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month, but I do think if you're looking out at least a couple of years, you'll be well rewarded being in the stock market. Just be, just be patient and look for, look, look further down the road and uh, you should be well rewarded. Information provided is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute investment tax or legal advice. The covered material has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. There are risks associated with every type of investment vehicle. Please read the prospectus and risk disclosures thoroughly before investing. Insurance guarantees are subject to the insurance company's ability to pay. Neither Silverleaf Financial, Kevin Brooker, hosts, and guests are responsible for the usage of information discussed. Security and investment services offered through Silverleaf Financial, members FINRA SIPC. Please consult with an experienced advisor before making any investment decisions. Volatility in the market is a fact. What isn't so clear is what the ups and downs of the market can do to your retirement portfolio. For answers, call Kevin Brooker at 800-975-6717. Kevin is founder and CEO of Silverleaf Financial, and he's been helping people cut through the noise to create a retirement and income plan that can take you all the way through retirement. Call now for your free financial consultation, 800-975-6717. Today's market volatility can really take a toll on your portfolio. But what if you could lock in your gains and still be in a position to participate in the gains without suffering losses if the market plunges again? That's what Kevin Brooker at Silverleaf Financial can help you achieve. Your no-cost analysis includes a portfolio x-ray showing any hidden fees in your current plan. He'll show you how by claiming Social Security at the right time can make a huge difference in your retirement income. Call Kevin Brooker today, 800-975-6717. Do it today.